This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, September 23, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. In Citizens United, the Supreme Court appeared to reestablish limits over what the government can and can't do to restrict the speech rights of owners of corporations and union members. But what about average Joes who just want to talk about politics? Alan Dickerson is legal director at the Center for Competitive Politics and is working on just such a case, but he hopes to take to the Supreme Court. We spoke this week. Since Citizens United and this IRS scandal, there's been a lot of extra scrutiny paid to groups and uh, the extent to which they are involved in politics. Of course, the, the rule of the IRS was, are you predominantly involved in politics? Is it more than half of what you do? And what does that even look like? It seems like your case uh, that you're working on has some shades of that. Describe that. I think that's true in two ways. One is that you know, the IRS does have this idea that you, you know, have to be not principally involved in politics, but no one really knows either what political activity means in that context, nor precisely what, you know, percentage threshold we're talking about, and and that sort of that sort of lack of clarity uh, is problematic everywhere, but it's especially problematic for small grassroots organizations which can't generally hire attorneys and accountants to wade through these very these very complicated regimes. So our case actually comes out of, out of a state context. Uh, Edmund Corsi has has sued the Ohio Election Commission, uh, and the case is currently before the U.S. Supreme Court. And the issue is is whether or not there are organizations so small or organizations whose activity is not predominantly political, but whether a state may nonetheless force that organization or that person to register with it, give up their donors, follow you know very invasive. Uh, regulatory regimes. And our position is, of course, that there is such a line and that the Supreme Court said there was such a line unanimously in 1976 and that there's been been drift since then, especially at the state and local level. And we're hoping to get the Supreme Court to address that. And uh, I mean, this idea that a group uh, might want to talk about candidates or office holders that they like or don't like uh, in a public setting uh, would trigger some sort of onerous uh, burden. I, I think a lot of people are sensitive to that. I mean, you just imagine a Facebook group that you might want to start in which you're talking about things and trying to influence your fellow man. So what what is the line, as you see it, where the government simply has no role in, in uh, deciding whether or not you const- you are a political group worthy of registration. Well, I, I like I like your point about the internet because this is a case that involved uh, predominantly blogging activity, and you know th- this is part of the difficulty is that when the Supreme Court has talked about campaign finance cases, it's generally been talking about finance. It's been talking about money, and when people think about you know what what the campaign finance regime is supposed to do. You know, they think of very large, very well-funded organizations with millions of dollars and competent legal counsel. Uh, this, in the state of Ohio, there is no monetary threshold. You know, anytime more than one person gets together and says vote for or vote against someone, if that is their major purpose, then they are a political committee. They can spend dollar one if they do it over a cup of coffee. Arguably, under the under the statute, they can be forced to register with the state. Now, that's bad enough. But the problem is that here, the Ohio Elections Commission has has said that you know we we recognize that you have some piddling amount of political activity. You know, a, a, a general ex- if the Sierra Club were to spend a dollar, 
you know, talking about a candidate. Um, that'd be such a tiny percentage of their overall activity. It'd be vanishing. It'd be really foolish to talk about the Sierra Club as a PAC under Ohio law. But if you have an individual or a small group, you, know, you run into this problem of exactly where that threshold is. And the way that the Supreme Court has said we have to deal with this is to say, well, you know, is your organization basically a campaign committee? You know, are you controlled by a candidate or is your major purpose – and that language comes out of a unanimous Supreme Court opinion in the 70s you – know, is your major purpose to influence elections? And just as a matter of mathematics, if you're going to talk about a major purpose, what the Supreme Court had in mind was you spend X and Y percentage of X is political activity. And if Y is enough of what you're doing, then OK, we can look at you as a, as a campaign organization. But the point is that uh, if the presumption of liberty is to prevail here, the government needs to know clearly that that is your purpose. I think and that's absolutely correct. The problem with the, this IRS rule uh, as applied to groups that were just trying to call, qualify for tax status is that uh, assigning any given activity within the organization to either political or non-political uh, in many cases is just impossible to do. Yes, and it's especially a tragedy because, I mean, again, Everyone understood in 1976, all of the great liberal lions of the court at that time understood you have to have red lines. You know, you have to say very, very clearly in a mathematically deterministic manner what is and isn't regulable because it doesn't make people bad people that your sort of line person at the IRS doesn't understand the very complicated law of the First Amendment as it involves political activity. But it does make it a very serious legal mistake to give them you know, the discretion to decide those sort of issues. And so what the Supreme Court said is, again, it has to be, it has to be your major purpose. Now, uh, we've sort of danced around some of the facts of the case. Uh, Edmund Corsi and Geuga Constitutional Council versus Ohio Elections Commission. Uh, what, did the, is the count, what did the council do? What did Mr. Corsi do? that uh, triggered the ire of uh, this regulatory body? Well, Mr. Corsi created the, uh, the grandly named uh, Constitutional Council named after Gayuga County, Ohio, um, to talk about you know, public issues. And you know, it, it, it's a truism of, of First Amendment law that you know, it's, it's very difficult to distinguish between discussion of issues and discussion of office holders and discussions of candidates. Um, and so Mr. Mr. Corsi had a blog. And it was, had this, this grand name. And on that blog, he discussed current office holders. He discussed, for instance, uh, the sitting chair of the county Republican Party and said some things that were not complimentary. And this case actually got started procedurally when that same county chairman, who had reason, uh, reason enough to dislike Mr. Corsi's uh, speech, uh, came across a flyer at the county fair and decided that you know, the Constitutional Council, even though it was essentially Mr. Corsi's alter ego, should be registered as a PAC. And so, I mean, it's. I, I think the facts, uh, the facts, point to point to the the undeniable truth that in practice, many of these regulations are are open to a certain amount of interpersonal and political abuse. Now, you, you alluded to it earlier, but what are the uh, regulations that govern PACs now? Well, in the state of Ohio, uh, the rule is that if if two uh, or more people together advocate. For the expression uh, for the election or defeat of either a candidate or you know a ballot measure or things of that things of that nature, that they become a PAC 
um, regardless of whether they spent any money in that regard, regardless of anything. Um, and now the statute does say that their major purpose must be this sort of you know, advocacy. The problem is that when the Ohio Elections Commission actually decided this case, they made a hash of that standard. They, uh, they found that the third of uh, three mission statements on the website said something about supporting candidates. Um, and they found that at some, it's on some occasions, you know, the blog and you know, various other materials did speak to sitting candidates. But they never found that that was a majority of what the organization did. They never made any finding on how much of what the organization did was that activity. And that's the problem. The problem is that without that standard, without having to show that the organization exists to advocate for candidates, there's, there's this constant sort of Damocles. Any organization that talks about issues and engages in political speech that happens to mention a candidate in a way that someone disagrees with now has this problem of possibly having to register with the state and give them everything. In terms of information in about terms how of information they are. and in terms of, you know, having to appoint a treasurer and basically become, you know, a highly regulated entity under state law. Alan Dickerson is legal director at the Center for Competitive Politics. You can read more about campaign finance and the right of free speech at our website, cato.org.